Hello, party people. Today you have Jake and Seth, and we are going to be discussing the 2000 Christopher Nolan. What's the correct correct term? Initial film, premiere film, inaugural film, debut film. Thank you, sir. Memento, a modern noir. I would call it starring Guy Pierce. Is it Guy or Guy? Well, we'll get back to that. Carrie Ann Moss, Joe Pantoliano. The film was made for 4.5, made 39.9, and this film had a huge buzz. Not as big as... Uh, it, it a couple remi- Oscar noms, too. Yeah, and it, it reminded me a little bit of... I'm going to say Sixth Sense, and it's not a great comparison, because Sixth Sense was a lot more successful. But it had a hook, and this film reminded me, this film had a hook and a lot of buzz. And I didn't see this in theaters, but I saw it afterwards. And um, I'm going to stop there. This film, as I said, was very successful in terms of the, how much it was made for. It kickstarted Nolan's career. Uh, The one little fun fact I have before I kick it over to you, Seth, is just letting you know, teachers don't know everything. He got a D plus for this script when he submitted it to his film school (laughs) professor. Uh, And yeah, uh, as we said, made $40 million on a script of four or five. And it launched the career probably, well, I don't know, top two, maybe the best director of today. At least probably the most well-known director of the 2000s. Uh, and it's like, I think, you know, if I was an independent movie producer, honestly, this script would probably be my dream. And it's like you're in this period uh, coming out of the late 90s where independent adult movies are like uh, as uh, in, in vogue as they're ever going to be. And so it's like, I could just see how, uh, if, if you were an independent film producer and this came across your desk, you can make this for four and a half million. They got a pretty good cast for their money. And I think uh, Nolan gets a lot out of each of the actors. Um, I think the, the Guy Pierce role, I know, was rumored or could have gone to a bigger actor. I, I think at one point Brad Pitt was interested. But what Nolan kind of realized was that was going to stuck too much of his budget. And so I think he was really smart to go for a guy like Guy Pierce who's kind of known, but he's not like an A-plus lister, like a Brad Pitt or like an Ed Norton would be or something like that. And then you get, he got Carrie Ann Moss and Pamelioni coming off The Matrix, who were both kind of friendly, and I think Moss recommended Pamelioni, and both of them are really good in the movie. Almost, uh, I mean, Pamelioni, I almost want to say it's his best performance. He, he's, he's best supporting actor level in this movie, not that he gets a nomination. I Actually, I was looking at the Oscars from this year, and it's pretty ridiculous what happened. A Beautiful Mind won Best Picture. Russell Crowe won Best Actor for that movie. This movie could have, in all likelihood, was the Best Picture of this year. When I was looking back at the other nominees, it was a pretty weak year. And this is a really good movie that like probably should have been recognized more. Um, but yeah, my initial thing was just like, if I had gotten the screenplay, it's got to be one of the most like mind-blowing screenplays to get. And I could see how a film director or a film... Uh, professor would be like this is too confusing or something but if you're making independent adult movies in the late 90s this is exactly what you're looking for to be fair if the professor to use a sports analogy the idea of bullpenning that teams do now and you're going to start a game and pitch with your entire bullpen if you had said that to a manager five years ago ten years ago you would have been laughed out of the stadium because they're like, that's just stupid. You don't pitch. Your bullpen's not your best players. You don't pitch your – you go with starter. It just it, – so where I'm going with this is uh, we talked about the Gordian knot and just like parallel thinking. And this is just 
this film is the structure. I'm going to kick it to you to explain the structure and the plot, but it's so antithetical to the traditional movie. I think it's what yeah. works for it, but it's why a traditionalist or someone who's trying to teach people about movies probably would not like it. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. And yeah, I think we're going to try to lay out what happens in this movie because it is a pretty confusing movie if you don't know i mean you shouldn't be listening to this if you haven't watched it it takes place backwards and every scene uh you don't know what's happening just like guy pierce because you haven't seen what happens before and actually i shouldn't say it takes place backwards it actually there's a section of it that's going forward in black and white on a phone call for most of the time and then in color there's sectionally we're sectionally going backwards through each scene and so I think what we're going to try to do is just lay out what actually happens in this movie from start to finish. Um, so, Jake, I believe what happens here. Lay it on me, Big Daddy. Okay, I'm going to attempt to do this. Um, we come upon Guy Pierce, black and white, shirt off, tattooed to the, to the nines uh, in, in his hotel room. And he's on the phone, and he's kind of explaining the Sammy Jenkins thing to somebody. And Sammy Jenkins is this guy that had the same condition as he did, uh, or that Guy Pierce does at the time, where it's a uh, he, he can't create new memories. He all of his new memories fade away too quick, quickly. He has no short term memory. I also love. All, I just want to say I didn't occur to me at the time, but the whole line of remember Sammy Jenkins and the hypocrisy or the irony of that that he wouldn't Sammy Jenkins wouldn't remember you, and that it's all things remember. I, just, I, I don't know if that was supposed to be a funny in-joke, but I just thought I also think it's funny. funny that it's like, he can remember that. I mean, obviously it's a memory he created before, but it's like reminding yourself to remember something that you're already remembering. Yeah, it's just like, a, it's, a, it's a crazy thing. Um, but it, he's mostly describing the Sammy Jenkins case to somebody on the phone. Um, as that, so we're going to stay with that narrative because um, that's the forward part of the movie. As that phone call continues, he un he unlock he takes a a uh, bandage off his arm, sees a tattoo, says never answer the phone. That freaks him out. He hangs up the phone, tells the front desk to hold his calls and stuff. Then he gets an envelope under his door, and it's a picture of him jubilant, pointing to the spot on his body that we, as the viewer, assume is where he's gonna tell himself that he's killed uh, John G. And the guy with the envelope says, you should be taking my phone call. So this gets him to pick up the phone again. And he finds out it's a police officer. He goes outside. And this is where he meets Joe Pantaleone for the first time. Correct? Yes, that was my understanding. Okay. Wait, but was it the first time they'd met? That's what I didn't know. Because it seemed like they had met before. And the Joe Pantaleone... I might be skipping ahead. It seemed That's like, true. It okay. Like so may have known it, for you're right. You're right. It's the it's first the time first they meet in the they, film. They, yeah, it's the first time they meet in the film, but they, it, it does appear that Pantaleone has known him in the past. We don't know how far in the past. We don't know exactly what's happened. That's a question I'll bring back later because I have a yes. that's like a bigger question. But yeah, okay, keep right. going. So next what happens is Pantaleone uh, convinces, convinces um, Guy Pierce that the Don G he needs to kill is this guy. Um, Jimmy Grant. Yes, Jimmy Grant. Who, who we know uh, from the Carrie Ann Moss fire. And this is the only time we actually see Jimmy Grant is when he goes to this deserted place and he does end up strangling him and killing him, right? Yes, he did kill him. So that's what that's happens there. This is the final scene of the real movie, by the way. 
This is kind of when both narratives meet each other in this one. And place. it takes place chron- chronologically at the beginning of the film, which is so interesting. It's like an inverse. Right. But it's actually the ending of the movie. And this is where there's this big confrontation where jo- Joey Pants shows back up this place, makes sure he killed the, the guy that he wanted to be killed. And then Guy Pierce kind of has this realization that it wasn't the real John G and that Joey Pantaleone could be using him to kind of kill people and forget about it. And he starts to realize that he might be, you know, a tool for him. And Pantaleone gives him this whole thing about, hey, what's it matter? As long as you're happy in the moment, you know, you could have killed a thousand John G's. And so suddenly as the viewer, you don't know, um, because we know that at the end, Joey Pants is going to die. So as the viewer, you're having all these emotions about, was Joey Pants the real John G? Was he using him? Was he a detective involved in the case? Um, it's like you're trying to piece all that together. If you ask me, it's like it's very ambiguous. I, I've realized after watching it, and I honestly think that I think he was a detective on the case, and he kind of realized what Guy Pierce was. I don't know for sure that he's like the John G in the bathroom. I actually don't think that's who Joey Panleone is. But I do think he's like a shitty cop who's been using Guy Pierce to like kill other people. So um, that was my take, and uh, yeah. That. So I'll be honest. I've seen this film a bunch of times, and I didn't remember. Like I always kind of forget the story because I see it once every few years. It's hard. Yeah, it's really hard. And it's so hard. So my takeaway, and so this time watching it, I was really, even though I've seen it before, I was trying to figure out what happened. I was trying to like, it yeah, was the first time. <laughs> and my takeaway. Is Joey Pants, uh, is that, is Teddy John G? I don't think so. But I, my my vibe was that I think he was either a cop who was on the case or who stumbled upon this guy in one of his later adventures or, he's, right. not, he's not a very smooth guy. We see him driving around in Jimmy G's. We find out he's driving around the whole movie in someone else's clothes and car. So... <laughs> My take is either he was part of the initial investigation or quickly somehow ran into him and he uses him to rip off these drug dealers. He has them killed. He, he brought Jimmy G told Jimmy G to meet him somewhere for a drug deal, had to bring 200 K tells, uh, um, Leonard to meet him there tells him it's John G or Jimmy G. So he kills him. Leonard's happy. He takes the money. He didn't actually kill him. And what, I don't even know if he's even a cop because you don't, Actually, he is a yeah, cop. Yeah, it's not he clear if he is a cop. Because you, you do see the badge. Um, so, he so, flashes it, but it could be... It, it, it could like, be a He fake. could just be a criminal. Yeah, it's like... You're right. The cop thing is very... It's very bare. So for the first question... So for that question, I th- I don't think Teddy's John G. I do think Teddy is a bad dude. But this is the one thing where I think... Well, here, well, real quick. Can I yeah, just yeah, give go, you my go, 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 go. I don't think he's John G., I think he's a whether he's a cop or not. You're right. He's a shitty guy using Leonard to knock off drug dealers and take their money and their drugs and stuff. But what happens is, I think Guy Pierce realizes that at the end of the confrontation, he writes down, "Don't believe his lies." And then when he kills, when he kills um, Joey Pants at the end of the movie, that is the memento, literally, to his wife. He couldn't find the John G, but he was able to kill a horrible person in the world, and that's the memento. Oh wow! I did not. I like that. I did not see that take. I actually like that take a lot. You like that? I think that's what it is. It's like because the movie is called Memento. It's not about memory. It's like how do you deal with like you have to do something to avenge your wife? You can't. You know what I mean? It's like he does a Memento. I think. 
So this is the one thing that just occurred to me. What if they caught the guys and Teddy was the cop on the case and just somehow was able to spin this guy out? And That could be the case. There's also the, that whole thing with, that Joey Pants throws out that like uh, that your wife was the, the diabetic and you were giving her the shots. Yeah. And like maybe he was. Maybe he's Sammy Jenkins. Like maybe that's his life. He killed his own wife. He can't remember it. And now he's like searching for this killer the whole time. Well, then there's also that Teddy at one point warns him about the guy calling him and leaving him notes. And then you find out that Teddy is the one calling him and leaving him notes. And Teddy's kind of playing both sides. So right. I, I think it's whether it's an unanswerable question, I, I, it might be, but I, I think we're both on the same page. I, I think we're, he's not, he's somehow connected to his past. We don't think he's necessarily directly connected to the murder, but I mean, how long he's been using him. I get the feeling he's been using him for a while. I, I think it might be years. Yeah. Yeah, I get that feeling too, and it it seems like he's been at that uh, motel for like at least months. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, it was interesting. So, um, so yeah. Do you? I don't know. If, should I keep going with the plot? Keep going. Keep going with the plot. Yeah, I kind of okay. cut you off. I think that's the best way to talk. No, about but this no, plot. we had to like stop there and figure that out. Um, so anyway, he kills um, Carrie Ann Moss's boyfriend. I keep forgetting the guy's name. <laughs> uh, Jimmy G. Jimmy G. Not Jimmy Garoppolo. My <laughs> but he kills him. Then he has the confrontation with Joey Pants. Writes down, don't believe a lot his lies. Then he leaves to get the... Ta- and he writes down the license plate. And that's where... The next place he goes is to the tattoo parlor to get the license plate tattooed to his leg. Then from there... Okay, then from there, I think, is the section of the film that I don't enjoy very much, which is... I want to say it's the part with the the prostitute and the burning of the wife memories and that whole kind of dark section yeah. where it's like he tries to have one more night or like a night with this hooker and kind of recreate memories with his wife, but then walks in on her doing coke and it ruins the whole thing for him. And then the next morning he like burns all of, all of the objects, the book and the doll and the, the hair comb. And it's like he's kind of trying to, it's almost like he's trying to forget his wife finally. It's like he just doesn't want the memories anymore. Yeah, so... It's the I, one part of the movie that, like, it yeah. gets a little too drab and emotional for me, and you kind of lose the momentum of stuff. Well, my problem, too, is that it doesn't make sense because every time he remembers is the first time he's remembered. So that's I, true. I don't yeah. get that it would be this really hard thing for him. And that, that's I had some larger questions. The logic kind of collapses in on itself at a few times. Like, namely, if he couldn't remember, thing, remember anything after the attack, how does he know these guys went free? And there's certain memories he, he has formed. And I know he says repetition and everything, but they kind of throughout the movie show that the, there is no repetition. It's, it's bullshit. Like if you, I can remember at one point someone asked him uh, or like he has the police report and it's like Carrie Moss is like, wouldn't the police take care of that? And he kind of explains to her what happened in the police report. And he's like, there was another man, but he was smart because he like only left the guns a certain way. And it was like, yes, but this is the thing. He would need to read that report every yeah, every right. 20 yeah. minutes to remember that so that's one of the things where like he was talking about the case and that was one of the notes in my th- yeah. that i actually called out i'm like oh that makes sense and then i'm like but he shouldn't be able to remember that now with all that's that being said yeah. i don't think that it kills the movie because we've talked about this with comic book films and sci-fi films they spend so much time on the rules and building the rules and some of the things don't make total sense 
and I'm it works. I'm willing to give him creative license. So I just want to say there's also like that's a pretty minor thing, and it's such a complex, and it's so hard to watch as a viewer going backwards to pick up on something like that. It's just like like it's it's good on you, honestly, that like you did <laughs> catch it. But it's I'm sure there's a couple things like that though. You're right though, where it's like you can't just remember that. Like you'd have to read the police report every 20 minutes, so it's like you can't just throw that in. But again, I get the argument maybe if. If, if the repetition does work, if you're saying the rep repetition does work and it has been years and he read that report, I don't know, a hundred, like 50 times a day, every day for five years, like maybe he right. would ingest it. So I, I just conceding that. Um, and I'm not going to nitpick. That was the one that stuck out to me. I'm not going to go through all of them. Uh, but yeah, I actually realized I went a little bit out of order already <laughs> before, <laughs> be before that night with the prostitute is that whole sequence at the bar, the, the initial meeting with Carrie Ann Moss at the bar and they spit in his drink and stuff and they're like laughing at him. And then he kind of starts talking to her and she realizes his, his wife is dead because she's thinking that he's ripped off her boyfriend because he's wearing his clothes and driving in the car. Right. And so he walks into that bar and she's like, you got a lot of nerve and they spit in his drink and stuff. And then she's like, Oh, you're the memory guy. So I wanted to My confirm the note in the pocket was for the boyfriend, not for him. Right. Right. Okay. And so he just walked into that bar from the note, right? And it's like, then they're all fucking with him. But then she kind of realizes about him. Well, that was what I was saying. Then, from there, that's basically, then she uses him to kill the guys right. coming after her. And it basically kill uses Dodd, him to kill right. Teddy. That, so, yeah, just to go back to the actual plot, it's like, he goes from the tattoo parlor to that bar, has the has, meets Carrie Ann Moss. She realizes she wants to use him for Dodd. Then he goes, has his weird night with the hooker at the motel, burns all his wife's memories. Then from there, he gets back in his car, and that's when Dodd attacks him. He, he like, pulls him over with his truck. I think Dodd recognizes the car of the boyfriend, right? So he pulls that car over, sees Guy Pierce, and then he tries to shoot him. And Guy Pierce is on the run. And there's that whole section where he's like, am I being chased? Or no, he's chasing me. Then he, he realizes he knows where the motel is because Carrie Ann Moss gave him that information. He holds up in Dodd's motel, waits from there, beats the shit out of him with a wine bottle after he takes a shower for no reason. <laughs> That's exactly what happens because in the next, because that was one of the things I was tracking too. How do yeah. they track him? And in the next scene, or in the next scenes with Carrie Ann Moss's character, she reveals she gave, she told him what the car was, and right. that was one of the things she mentions getting beat up, but we find out that the bloody, the blood, like her marks are from a fight she had with. Guy Pierce or Leonard, yeah, she, who she, she gets knew. him to beat her up. She right. gets him to beat her up. So then you realize that she actually gave Dodd just the note. So she was playing both sides. She was like hoping one right. to kill the other. And um, it was it, it's interesting playing like that. Like her character, I, the way she performs, the way it unfolds, it's interesting. It's like it's. I really liked her performance, honestly, because it. Uh, there's times in the movie where you're almost more unsure about her character than Joey Pants. And there's a period, you know, if you're if you're able to catch it all on a first watch, there's a period, you know, when she's kind of st st turns on him and starts calling him all these names to get him to hit her, you're like, this woman is evil. You know, like, really evil. And then there's that scene where they're sleeping together and you're like, they seem like a good match. Like, these two should stay together. And it's just like... It's crazy for her to play that spectrum so well, and, and it's like... And th this has happened to me a few times. I think every time I watch the movie, I have a little Leonard thing going on. I forget she seems so nasty, and then you realize that this guy killed her boyfriend and walked into her bar wearing his clothes, <laughs> driving his car, 
and you realize it's like, okay, like, yeah, she might be in the, she might not be in the wrong. And then when you find out he could be this mindless hitman or a dirty cop, like she's the, she's the hero. You can look at her as the hero. Yeah. Well, I mean, she does use him to kind of beat up Dodd and get him off of her back, but then she does, she does the license plate check for him and gets back to him the information that it is Joey Pants that is John G basically. And then, I mean, you know, he puts all, you know, the, it's like the, he has the license plate and the name is really what he goes off of to kill P- Joey Pants at the end. Is there any, like, is there any other, it's like he says white male, I guess, is another thing on his arm. But it's like, beyond those things, it's like that, w- would you be certain enough to kill a man off of a couple notes like that? You know what I mean? No, but if I was living a life where it's literally like 15 minute increments, <laughs> And I, in that moment of lucidity, I realized that my wife, my wife is dead. My life is over. And this guy's responsible in a moment of rage. I might act out and just lash out. Um, with that being said, I think the idea, I sadly think I would accustom well to a 15 minute, obviously not like as an old man, like I think senility will suit me well. I kind of live in 15-minute increments as it is. Uh, give me 30. There is, me yeah, there is like a weird bliss to it, but then there's also just like, I would never want to be that confused. And one of the things he said, no, I, I'm, I'm saying this all tongue-in-cheek, of course. Uh, I actually, one of my grandparents, actually two of my grandparents had not, they didn't have Alzheimer's, but they had similar symptoms as they got older, just kind of as they age. Oh, yeah, I have a grandmother that can't remember. And that. I mean, it's, it's a fate. I think it's, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. It's so sad. And they talk about it in this. It's, there's almost that subconscious where he talks about how he's angry all the time, where he's scared all the time. And it's, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm no expert, but sometimes I saw with my grandparents, like they didn't know what was going on, but they knew something was wrong. It just, we're not, not to dive into that, but it's, there is, I think this somewhat, maybe in the instinctual level that whatever in level, primal level, reptilian level that just knows you're not fully there. Or there's just one sense that's off. So, uh, right. sorry, going too far down that, um, no, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I think it's also just like on a screenplay writing level, one of the genius things about it, because it's going backwards, it's just like to have the viewer have that sense of like, I don't know what's happening in every sing- at the beginning of every single scene. And you're trying to piece together how this connects to the last scene you saw. And then you're trying to remember that that's actually the end of the movie and you're going towards the beginning. It's just a, it's such a mind bender for a viewer um, I like uh, I give a lot of credit to Nolan for like actually pulling off this movie because it I think it could have been a giant like impossible to understand mess in the wrong hands which might be I haven't seen Tenet that's kind of what I I hear some reviews of Tenet <laughs> but See, uh, so we can it's like I can that. still understand this you know what I mean it's not impossible to 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 digest it no and I think it's honestly some it is like such a such a lame cliche it's like an onion it's got layers and it's also yeah. i think you can come back to it and as i said i've seen this film a few times i do a good job of spacing it out so i forget things it <laughs> it's deep it's layered and there's so much looking new and even there are a couple of things that i you picked up on that i certainly didn't um no i think the only way to really talk about it is to walk you through it because also again just to make sure we're on the same page and working on the same set of facts um, yeah exactly because two people could watch this and have two totally different ideas of like what that ending means with joey pants like 
you know, I've, I feel like I've talked to people where they're like, no, that is John G. And like, he got the guy that raped and murdered his wife. And it's like, that's, I don't think that's what's happening. There. So coming into this film and correct me, I, it sounds like I may have mis been mistaken, but my conception coming into this, what I vaguely remembered was that I thought he and Joey Pants, you, you don't know exactly what Joey Pants role was, but that he had, he had killed John G and that really happy looking picture, happy looking picture of him was the actual killing and that after that, the Joey Pants character and him, it seemed like, agreed, or at least that one timed 15-minute slot of him kind of agreed to keep going forward and keep this journey going. And because I, I thought I remembered a certain point where he, almost when he was burning the things for his wife, I don't know if that was it, but I thought I remember there being, and I couldn't find it in this film, and I, I, I thought there remember being the point there was either a direct like action or inference that he took an action at one point when he had a memory to make it harder for him to remember whether I think it was burning the picture, but I, I thought at one point he, he tried to forget so he could kind of keep living this fantasy. That might be, I think that's like an interpretation, you know, that, I think that's it's like, what it it's, is, yeah. it's just like a, he, it's just a picture at the end of the day, you know? So it's like, he could have convinced him that he did kill a John G or it could have been the real John G, but it's like, it kind of doesn't make a difference if you're going to keep using the guy. I mean, it's like, I'd like to think that they, you know, it would be interesting if you did like a prequel and it's like the two of them actually catching John G and they're working together and they're both friends or something. And then it's like their relationship deteriorates to the point that Joey Pants is just using him to kill drug dealers or something by the end of this. But it's like, I just think it's too ambiguous. Uh, like we said, we don't even know for sure that Joey Pants is a cop. And it's like, it's just too ambiguous to put it. And so it's like, okay, here's a picture of him very happy pointing to the spot. But it's like, how many times did he do this? And just going off of other Nolan work, honestly, like you think about the prestige and all those bodies they find at the end. And it's like, I bet you in Nolan's head, it's been like a thousand murders that he's done or something. That's why I said years. And you could yeah. rip off a couple of drug dealers in a weekend with this guy. Yeah. You do a long weekend, you can hit up like three or four guys if you do it right. The one, it's like the one thing I would, it's like, so the cops can't catch on to this guy that he like, like if it is like hundreds of murders like that, it's like the cops can't put it together that it's this like enraged guy with memory loss or something. <laughs> well, the only thing I'd say to that is if there, if Teddy was a cop and he was a lieutenant, like they said, then, he then would, he's kind of, he would yeah. have the clout. Also, it seemed like he was kind of chaperoning him. So it seemed like he might like. He always showed up where he was. He was always around. That's true. I think he, I think he kept a closer eye on him than we realized. And it would make one sense. of my, sorry. Oh no worries. Go ahead. One of my nitpicks of the movie actually was that just like all the driving he's doing, and I'm like, if this guy has memory loss, these drives better be less than ten minutes because he's not going to know where the hell he's going. Okay, it's so funny. I didn't pick up on that, but but one of the things that also bothered me just in terms of length of time to complete tasks, the file. If he had to, how could he read that file once? That was so big. Oh, yeah, yeah. Totally to read agree. the file, Bloody. it was so big. And I was thinking, and in that same scene when he's talking to Carrie Ann Moss about it, you, you're not sure how much time leave expands, but it's like five or ten minutes. Not enough time to read 100 pages of that file. I also, like, uh, I actually thought about this during the movie. Is it is it really like he goes 15 minutes of remembering and then it's just a blank slate again? Or is it like you are always at, have a 15-minute memory inside of you so then you can't remember 20 minutes and it's like continually 
it's like gradually moving through the day kind of thing or is it like a blank slate every 15 to 20 minutes i couldn't like kind of figure that part of it out either i don't know maybe maybe it's not what we think maybe it's not everything yeah, it's like, maybe sets. it's more gradual yeah. maybe it's like you remember what you did an hour before but if it's short term like the person you're talking to if you stop talking for a few minutes you knew you were talking to them but you forget their name i don't know it, yeah it just seemed like there has to be a, a few gray areas for them for it all to kind of like make sense for them really it's like you can't have it be too set i don't know it's hey, like, this is where you can start pulling it apart. This is play. the one thing I'll say. How can Thanos smash an Infinity Stone with his fingers and then punch any of the characters in the MCU without them dying? It, they sh it shouldn't happen, but you know what? You do the movie right, you spend enough time on the rules, and as long as you only break a few of them and you make a good movie, people will forgive you. And I think Memento does is able to... And Memento is not the first, but it, it does pulls that dangerous balancing act of it breaks its own rules, but the film doesn't completely collapse in on itself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to go back to the, the three principal actors. Okay. Seth, you were just talking about uh, the cast and yes you were talking about how great they were and you were actually talking about Guy Pierce and LA Confidential. And I wanted to ask you, I didn't, so LA Confidential came out, I think it was 96, 95, huge buzz, oh won a lot of awards, the the top three, Russell Crowe. It was a breakout for Guy Pierce and Russell Crowe and Kevin Spacey was already big, but it was one of his first big times to actually headline. It was, it. yeah, it was the biggest threat to the Titanic at the Oscars. Man, everyone thought Titanic, Titanic it did end up sweeping a lot, but it was like LA Confidential was kind of the movie watcher's movie that year. It was also, that's one of the movies, I feel like it was like Mulholland, I think it was Drive, it's whatever the non-David Lynch film was with Chaz Palminteri. It, my dad loved it. It was like made for a different generation, but it had crossover appeal, more so than the other Mulholland movie. Um, but it was a really cool movie. But talking about Guy Mulholland Pierce. Falls, I think? Yeah, yeah. Talking about Guy Pierce for a minute. I think people was thinking, I don't know what the right comp is. Um, Harrison Ford's not the right comp, but maybe like a Matthew Modine. I mean, he's probably better than Matthew Modine. I don't know what the right comp is, but I still, where I'm coming from is, and it seems like you're kind of in the same spot. Are we surprised his career is not bigger? Should his a career be bit. bigger? I mean, yeah, it's always one of those things like, is it his choice? What, did he not pick the right parts or did he just want to go this way? Uh, my opinion of Guy Pierce is like very clearly leading man, leading man features um, can carry a movie. It's like it, when you say those things about an actor, you're just thinking like, well, this guy must be huge, you know, but it's like he's not he's not Brad Pitt. He's not Tom Cruise. You know, he shows up in smaller movies. You know, he shows up in the Hurt Locker and he gets killed in that movie early. And it's like and then, he, you know, he kind of shows up in the new Ridley Scott uh, alien stuff. And it's like, that's kind of weird to be this old man. But it's like, I, I think there's a different career he could have had where he's he's kind of like in the Oscar mix every year and stuff. But I don't know. Maybe I don't know why he ended up with the career he did. And maybe it's a case of like, yeah, his looks like and I just think he looks like I feel he looks like he should be competing with Brad Pitt. I feel like yeah. every year. Although now that I'm looking at his filmography now a little deeper, I mean, it was a little, it was just a little uneven. I mean, you yeah. had LA Confidential, and then the next big films were Ravenous, which was 
I think it's got a cult following now, but I remember that movie was panned at the time. In 1999, the world was not ready for Ravenous, <laughs> at least some American critics. It did not do I well. Do, I like him. Count of Monte Cristo is good. He's Machine, good, you know, and I like him in Time Machine, but those films, if those films, I think, needed to be bigger hits. I think those, they weren't misfires, but they were... They weren't big. Yeah, they were big, and if those had taken off. But the other thing, he also did a ton of Australian films. He's, he, he's done a lot of Australian films. He's done a lot yeah. of good films. He's done Hurt Locker, King's Speech, Animal Kingdom, the film, which is awesome. Um, if you haven't seen that. Then he also did films like Lockout, Lawless. He's in Prometheus. I mean, Iron Man 3, I think he's great. He's good in that. He is a very interesting resume but it comes off more of a character actor as opposed to i think yeah an a-list he's the he's honestly the kind of guy that like i would like i'd want a tarantino to swoop in and be like this is like the way you should use this guy like i don't you know it's like i don't think he should really be in prometheus and iron man 3 and stuff but uh you know honestly though still a really talented guy can really die, can play a lot of different types of roles and stuff. But you're right; it's he's a leading man who seems trapped in a supporting actor's resume. I'll, I'll be honest; I liked him the best. Was L.A. Confidential? I think that was yeah, really role. good, really good in that movie. He, he was able to, to really bring it. Um, all right, I mean, he's going up against major actors in that movie too. Do you want to talk about Carrie Ann Moss next? Yes, because um, like honestly. Between this and the Matrix, like uh, this is like her peak, and like again, almost like Guy Pierce, it's like she ends up doing a lot more supporting acting roles down the stretch of her career, and it's like, man, she could have been a little bit more leading actress for me. I like her; I've always liked her. She always brings something else to her parts. That she she doesn't do the normal; she never makes normal choices. She's doing something else with her character, and it's like I, you know, honestly, in this movie. I, she brings a lot more to her character than what's written down. If you looked, if you read what's on the page, it's not that much, and she just brings a lot to it. I agree, and I know you didn't like the scene at the bar, but I actually did because I think she's doing a lot there. Like that scene could be go so many different ways, and I, I like. I like the bar scene. Did I say I didn't like it? I don't know. No, you said that time. You said that area, so you might not have specifically referred to the bar scene. Um, but just no, I, I meant the the prostitute and the wife. I'm, I'm sorry. I, so I really like that bar scene, and I thought that was one of the best things of her. You're getting a lot of range, and you're also trying to figure out. And what the best thing about her performance is, as you the movie advances and you realize what happened, you realize how smart she is. But as the film progresses yeah. and it's earlier in the story, she's still figuring things out, and you see her, and she does a great job of. I don't want to say it's like a vulnerability, but like her. She does. She has great facial expressions. So when she looks like she's trying to trust him or figure him out, you feel that. When she is suspicious, you feel that. Like she does a great job, I think, of conveying that. That's probably Captain Obvious over here. But the one thing I want to say is, I think I think she brings an edge to every character, and we can kind of. I'm gonna dive in her uh, filmography in a bit, but she definitely brings an edge. And this is. I feel so creepy saying this word, but I, don't, I can't think of anything else for it. I think she's just like sexy. She has like a sexiness. I think she, I think she can bring to every role, and I don't mean that in like a objectifying way. Like I think she can. She's like also 
strong. I think it's like that's kind of what makes her sexy. I, I'm gonna edit this out. Yeah. It feels so creepy, but uh, it just. <laughs> no, I think you're totally right. It's true. I mean, she like I like I mean yeah. It's like she just brings a subtext to her characters that other actresses don't would normally bring. So it's like you just get a little bit extra with her, and I mean. The, to feel as comfortable as you do in that scene when they're in bed, and then to feel as dis- disgusted as you do when she's trying to get him to hit her, uh, I mean that it, it's a it's a great great piece of acting by her to get, to hit those two ranges of emotions really quickly in the movie too. Do we want to talk about her career for a minute? Because I know I know you mentioned about how she didn't. So just looking at the things she had here, she she really broke out with the Matrix. But do yeah. you know about her first Matrix role? I don't. Oh, Seth, Seth. Matrix, TV series. <laughs> a Canadian fantasy adventure that ran for 13 episodes in 1993. The premise? Nick Mancuso stars as Stephen Matrix, a hitman <laughs> who is killed during a job and sent to a version of Purgatory called The City in Between. There he is given a choice to be sent to hell for all the murders he's committed or return to Earth and help people. Once alive, Matrix receives periodic assignments from the city in between. Is that premise not a little similar to the actual Matrix? Uh, a little bit. Yeah, Just talking I mean, about multiple between... worlds, same character yeah, yeah. dropping between multiple worlds. There's a, a different world order than he was. Just saying. So uh, I cut you off there. but So th- this, what I want to focus on are this this time of films that she had the yeah. matrix in 99 memento in 2000 chocolate okay 2000 she was in chocolate red planet which was kind of Good a bust. Yeah. uh but 2000 she was in memento then she's in a break because she was doing the back-to-back matrix movies and yeah. in 2000 in 2003 she releases the matrix reloaded she had a big part in a lot of the animatrix um anime shorts and she's in the Matrix Revolutions. The problem is from 2000 to 2000 and really like six. Oh, wow. Like the only movies of sus- of consequence she made were the Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions. And we talked about them before, but those two I've films seen Disturbia. Made... That's like the other one I've seen. So I cut off of that because I liked Disturbia and I thought she was good in that. But from that film, between that and Memento, it's really just the Matrix Reloaded films. And those came out in 2003 yeah. and they weren't that well received critically. So you just had one year where you were really in the public eye over six or seven. And that's just, that's killer, especially for an actress in her 30s. And I'm not saying that to be mean, but just especially the the reality of the world. I think she was out of the eye for too long. It's true. I mean, there's two things. Like, you can't leave that Matrix franchise if you're her. You just can't do that. Um, no, no, you can. But you need to have, like, in 2004, Suspect Zero yeah. came out. That had I, to hear, I agree with what... Especially, like, just watching her in Memento, knowing how short that shoot was and seeing how well she did. She, she should have been in movies, you know, doing 10-day shoots here and there, just doing independent... Like, she, she had such a talent to not do that kind of stuff. I mean, I get what's happening with the Matrix in your career there, but you're right. It's a lot of time where she's very talented in her prime and she kind of isn't doing stuff that she could be doing. No, I mean, she just kind of... She's I had, mean, she did a ton of TV. I mean, I'm sure she's good on those shows. So I was going to say, she's kind of had a reawakening on TV and I, everyone knows I love the Marvel stuff. Sorry if you can hear those sirens in the background. 
They're coming for Jake. They're coming for me. I love the I love her in the Marvel Netflix universe, which is supposed to be part of ours, your MCU, but it looks like it won't be anymore. But she's a big part of that. She was an Iron Fist, the Defenders, uh, Daredevil, Jessica Jones. She was basically a crossover character. Yeah. For three or four of the six franchises they had. And she was a big part, especially in Jessica Jones. She's a big part in every season. Uh, smaller in the rest, but she, she has a decent role. She also hasn't aged at all. I th- she's She looks like she's No, and also, I, I was just about to, like, ironically, it's like she's scheduled to be in Matrix 4, and it's like you got no other movies coming up. <laughs> it's like your career's kind of still in the same place in a weird way. Maybe that's what Matrix 4 will be about. Maybe it's cycle. Maybe it's another cycle we didn't realize. It's all cycles if you ask the uh, the Nords. You know, yeah, I mean, I hold out hope that she actually like does find an- another sort of like big. Uh, she, I also feel like she should be in prestige TV. Like, I get that she's in these kind of uh, uh, DC uh, shows and stuff, but it seems like she could be in some more serious dramas. So I was gonna say, I feel like she should be on FX series. She should be on yeah. whatever. Maybe it's the next. I don't know if it's the next Fargo or or. I feel like she could have been good on damages, but I feel like she should be also yeah, like in yeah. She should be or like on she, HBO, like in Succession or something. It's like have her show up. Yeah, I mean, she plays a lawyer in the MCU. She's really good. She should she should she could have her own. I feel like she could have her own lawyer. What procedural? Um, she should. Law and Order MCU. I will say this about her and Guy Pierce. I think they're talented enough to have a renaissance, to have another another run yeah i agree i agree. I think they're both talented uh it just I, seems I like it already like you know should have happened for a while it's just it's weird with both of them honestly joey pants is a little more understandable because he's just joey pants you know <laughs> but joey pants has had a great career like jo- jo- joey pants yeah but like joey pants but like, not, like, jo- joey joey pants joey isn't pants, LeBron but like nobody else does joey, joey pants isn't lebron james joey pants yeah. isn't the point card joey pants is the sixth man who's yeah, needed right. on every team, but no one ever remembers him. But he's won – this isn't exact – you probably know a better example. I'm thinking of Robert Ory, even though he's not a six-man. That's but a good example. Robert Ory yeah. was never the best player on his team, but he won like eight or nine championships. Pants, if you had in Sopranos with the Matrix and the Bad Boys, and that's just like tipping the iceberg. That's not even going to Goonies or um, The Fugitive risky, or U.S. Marshall. Risky business. Risky business. Congo. <laughs> He is the man. He is the man. He's he, just like a secret sauce. He can, he can be a tipping point for a movie, like for The Matrix. I feel like he puts it over the top. You know, for other, you know, for risky business, it's like he actually gives some crew somebody to like play off of. He can give a heavy a scene. You know, just punch him in the face for a scene. It's like he can do all that kind of stuff. <laughs> he's got it all. He's got the he's got the chops. I, I love Joey Pants. I, I think he's had the career to me. Uh, if you're if you want to sit here and say you should have had more starring roles, you're not going to get an arg- argument from me. But I think he's had the I think he has had the right career. He's had yeah, he's had the career he should have had. I will say, uh, like I could see a version of Memento where like Kevin Spacey's in that part. You know what I mean? I could. I think I think it's a little more different. I think to me, I think that. Uh, for me, I, I think just, Pants I think, is great, though. I, like I said, I think he was almost Oscar level in this part, just because it, he's so believable as like being the, the the person to trust and not trust. It's actually funny you said Kevin Spacey because in my notes, what I said 
he has the gumshoe well, that Nora gumshoe, the cadence of speaking and the, yeah. it reminds me of like that old timey New York, but it's not grating or annoying. It feels natural the way he does it. And what it reminded me of was verbal Kent from Usual yeah. Suspects played by Kevin Spacey, who has that same kind of cadence and rhythm. I, I felt myself thinking about Usual Suspects and Pulp Fiction a little bit. And Leon, actually. I, and I was just like, man, these 90s like action movies were all like kind of relating to each other in a weird way, you know? Dude, I hear you. Unreliable narrators. Not, this doesn't go across all of them, but like unreliable narrators. Just also like the shots. Like they felt more artistic. Like it's not slow motion explosions. It's it's also just so the story is developed. It's it's not a crime story. It's a story with crime. Like there happens to be a crime element. Yeah, in, in I mean honestly, story. Memento almost has zero action in it. It's like there's a couple fist fights and a gunshot, and it's like there's almost it's almost all dialogue. I can't remember what film we talked about recently, but this is so lame. But to use the uh, heat, the juice is the squeeze, and or the juice, um, uh, the heat is the juice from. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, right, whatever that line is. I'm not even using it properly, but what I want to say here is, uh, in, in this case... The, the, the hard, action is the juice, that's what it is. The hardest thing for action films is usually to put story, a good story to get between the action scenes. In this film, the action is the story. It's the mystery, yeah. and the way, the way, as we said, it's kind of... It's, you're operating in reverse chronological order in a way that's really building tension... And it's so cool because you have these questions at the at, as you start the movie at the end of the story, and as you move forward, you're getting an answer in each new scene for what happened in the previous scene, and a question right. about why that right. happened. And then it all yeah. ends in this, and and it circles back. And we always talk about the framing device for Inception and how it it kind of when you bookend it like that. This film is bookended. It's a similar concept. You're bookending this unreliable narrator. And it's up to the the viewer to choose the the reality that they want for the film. And that it's like one of the genius things about the screenplay is that it it forces the viewer to focus on details and the questions and answers, like you're saying. And it's like as the viewer, you're so confused. You're trying to you're so focused on those details that it's like you're not <laughs> you're almost not worried about the visuals. You're just like you're trying to figure out what's happening and where it's going and like keeping the story in your head. And I understand why a lot of people probably can't just can't stay with this movie, where it's it's just like they don't want to put in that kind of work <laughs> for like a, whatever ninety minutes or something. But I do think it's fascinating if you do stay with it that it's like all of your personal attention to the screen does pay off at the end as long as you stay with them the whole way. It's great, and no, it's a. I don't. I think it's unfair to call it a gimmick movie. But it is gimmicky. In that, I agree. Well, I mean, I was going to ask you if you watched it chron forward, like chronologically, just from start to beginning, start to beginning to end. Would it still like be a good movie, or would you just be like, "Oh, I see what happened here"? I think if you could cut out, because one of the things this film does well, and looking at the runtime, talking about on a good budget, is it repeats a lot of the scenes. So there's like, I bet like 10 to 15 minutes of this film that's actually just repeats of the scene because the way they, they, as they go back in time, they show you, they basically bookend each scene with the same footage. And yeah. it's then you, but then by the end of the scene, you have a different context for it. Um, 
So what I so where I'm going with that is if they remove those extra that extra footage, I feel like this is film. It's not as remembered. It's not as successful. But I think what you have is a pretty tight, stylish, ninety minute, yeah, thriller, something like that. I, I also think there's a way of do of doing it from the Joey Pants perspective and seeing how he's manipulating him the whole time, and then seeing how it like, and then it would be very dramatic when the character died at the end. Like if Joey Pants was your main character. It would be pretty dramatic when he like fucks up at the end and gets killed by this guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the, I mean, the last big character we need to talk about here is Nolan. Not that we need to have a yes. full Nolan conversation, but I mean, we talked Do you about think him. He's talked in this movie. Uh, like, I know he's done movies with bigger budgets, and he's—I mean—he's done the Batman trilogy. He's done. All kind, you know, Inception, all kinds of big budget action movies. Dunkirk, uh, you've seen Tenet. Has he topped this movie, Jake? Um, I'm thinking right now, so I don't want to give silence. I'm just thinking. Uh, for, for me, it's like Dark Knight's at least in the conversation. So I was gonna say, so personally, Dark Knight's among my favorite movies. It's in my top five, <clears throat> I think, of all time. It's, it is in my top five of all time. Uh, it might even be top three. I think. Oh, I also, sorry, I was going to just throw this in real. I heard Aaron Eckhart was also up for the Guy Pierce role, and then Nolan circled back to Eckhart for Dark Knight. I think I would have liked to see Aaron Eckhart in this role. I'll say, like, Thomas. I was Jane, like, it would be an interesting version with Eckhart, yeah. Tom Jane, Aaron Eckhart, Patrick Wilson today. I feel like they're the type of guys who might get that look for the role. Yeah. <clears throat> um, no, sorry. For Nolan. Uh, going back to Nolan. Uh, no worries. I'm going to say for Nolan, this. The best movie, like, movie was Dark Knight. I think given the impact it had, uh, not just on, uh, we talk about the impact in comic book films, it was nominated for Oscars. Like, it had real impact across, what, four quadrant, across the aisle, whatever you want to say. It was huge. And also, I mean, let's be honest, I love the Avengers films, and I think Infinity War and, and, Infinity, they have topped the spectacle of Nolan's films because they're doing it in a different way. His films have very little CGI. They're doing almost all CGI. Um, there are drawbacks to that. But at this, but to get the emotional resonance, the emotional payoff, I think Endgame hits that level. But to me, Dark Knight is still the... I think I put Dark Knight ahead of all comic book movies at this point because yeah, it's a sequel, but it's a great sequel and it builds and it like you can end the whole Dark Knight series. You can end every Batman movie with Dark Knight and just those two films. And I think you have the consequential, the most like that is the modern. I think that's the best modern interpretation of Batman. And you can throw in Dark Knight Rises too. I think it's a great interpretation, but Dark Knight itself is the peak of that of that mountain range, and it's also. I just have to give it to him because also like before that film, yes, it came out the same time as Iron Man and Iron Man's great. But Iron Man is a different film. It doesn't have the same scale later Iron Man's do, but Iron Man was made for a hundred million. The Dark Knight was made for much more than that. It, it, it was a, there was tons of expectation and he didn't just hit a grand slam. He hit the equivalent of like a six run home run. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I think, 
one of the what's really interesting to me about Nolan actually is like in this earlier period, he's getting good performances out of his actors. You know, like we talked about the three actors in this movie and Insomnia. You know, you have Swink and Pacino. It's not great stuff, but like those are good performances. And that can once he becomes a big budget director, he continues to get good acting performances. I mean, he gets a. I mean, Heath Ledger wins a Best Supporting Actor award for Dark Knight, and it's like Bale, very good. Eckhart's very good in that movie. Uh, even in Prestige, uh, Interstellar, like there are good performances in these big budget movies, and I think that's a really hard thing for these directors to do. And like you, you like you said, you know, the Marvel movies are different. Like they are, they've gotten to be big scale now, but I don't think you're getting the same kind of performance. Like you're getting more Hollywood, uh, quippy kind of stuff out of Downey and Chris Evans. You're not kind of getting a very serious dramatic portrayal of a character the way you did with Heath Ledger in the dark Knight, And so it's like, when I watch those movies, that's what's really separating it for me in terms of like a critical reception. That's like, they're doing stuff and they're doing it as realistically as possible. And he doesn't, you know, just cause he has $200 million in the budget doesn't mean he's not going to force his actors to try to like go up the level too, you know? Yeah. We talk about budget a lot and like seeing where the dollars go. I think he's one of the best when it comes to, we saw Wonder Woman recently and it was $200 million budget and we were wondering where some of that budget went. He maxes it out, whether it's four and a half million for Memento or $250 million for Tenet or the Dark Knight films. He, he, you can see it, whether it's the cast he has, the performances he has, whatever it may be, it's, he, he's great. I do think, I think Memento is one of the, one of the best like directorial debuts that I can, you know, I mean, I'm not going to call it Citizen Kane and Orson Welles, but it's definitely up there. And those just like, wow, this guy just like got shot out of a cannon. I think that's why I keep connect comparing it to Sixth Sense more so in that vein, not that the film is yeah, similar, but what it did yeah, for yeah. those careers. Uh, Reservoir Dogs, I think is a similar thing where it's like, whoa, who is this fucking guy? Yeah. And the one thing I'll say, one more thing I'll say quickly is I called it gimmicky before. I don't think it's gimmicky because gimmicky, I think, it, the second or by the second or third time you go back to a gimmicky film, it's the the taste is gone and you don't like it. Yeah. As I said, I've come back to this a couple times. It's not gimmicky. Maybe like niche is a better term if you want to use for whatever vague classification I'm going for here. But uh, it modern works. modern noir I think is good. Although I guess that doesn't describe the the backwards effect that's happening. <laughs> yeah. Well. Whatever. It's a it's a tough film to, to kind of wrap your head around, but I think that works for it. I think that's one reason why we're talking about it. It's crazy. Yeah. 20 years later? 21 years later? It's also like the I mean, the quote-unquote gimmick just works so well with the themes of the movie. And it even works with the viewing of the movie to keep you from not remembering what's happened. And so it's like, the whole thing relates to it. You know, it's metaphorical to itself and everything. It's just like it's all, you know, do our memories matter? Does the world exist around us if we can't remember it? I mean, it's in, it's like Philip K. Dick type questions they bring up in it. Well, that's a big question. Is like the question of fact versus memory and what's more important. Is it like what's real or is it what you remember what's real? And I mean, if, you, if you're going to make this into a series, I think you, you delve into those questions a little more. To go a little Richard Linklater. Oh, That'd like, be hilarious if it was just like a TV show every 30 minutes, this guy trying to solve a case with no memory. <laughs> you could do it like a Room 105 or one, whatever that show is on HBO. Like you could do a comedy one week, a horror the next. <laughs> uh, you go all over the road with it. I like that idea. <laughs> um, do, we have any, do you have any other questions before we uh, wrap this up? 
I think um I th- I, I think I, I liked our our talk about Panaglione because I like that we both agreed that we're like we don't really think he's the John J. That was really my deepest question with the movie. I think. No, no, yeah. I just never I never thought it was him. And actually, after talking to you, I realized it was more of a possibility. Like, I, yeah, I think the possibility does exist. Like, you could if that is him, the guy from the bathroom that he's just kind of been following the guy around ever since the court case, I guess. And uh, is now taking advantage of him. I mean, if that's the case, thank God he killed him. <laughs> if that's the case, then Jimmy G is one of the greatest villains in the history of film, yeah. and, and it would just add such a different context to the performance, which I think would actually be great. So, I mean, I don't know if the ambiguity. I still see. I stick with. Sorry, I stick with my memento interpretation, which which is like he he kind of came to this point. He knew he wasn't going to figure it out, but he knew Joey Pants was a piece of shit who was using him. And so killing him was the memento to his wife. <laughs> I think you're right. I, I, I'm, I'm taking that read. Because if it's actually John G, it's not a memento, right? It's just revenge. No, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> I've just explained the title of the movie, people. Moment, no. Um, do you, you ready to move into final scores, my man? Yes, ready to move into final scores. All right. Um, Boy, this will be interesting. So... Oh, you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? I'll go, I'll go first. I don't love this final score. So oh this boy. is more of like a finalish score because I, th- I think it could be higher. I'm giving it an eight. Okay. Solid eight. Um, really like it. The one, the couple things, it's a little longer than I remembered, although it doesn't feel long. So I'm not, that's not a fair cr- critique. But I. It's hard. It's hard to say because there's so much I like about it, and I feel like it's so clever. And we talked about all the things that it did that's like different and novel and compelling. I think there's also this thing going on with it where it's like you you know it was a difficult movie, but that doesn't mean it's like that doesn't just make it a good movie. You know, it's like okay, I can tell this was difficult to make, but like, is this good? Exactly. And so the two things are: it's good, I like it, and I can tell it's difficult. But like two things: one. It's still kind of hard to follow, and I like that about it. But it's not like that's gonna, that's just gonna make it a little harder to digest. And just too like as we said, the, it, you can scratch at the logic a little bit, and it just doesn't. You remember some yeah. things after the accident, not others. Um, th- that's really it. Like that. That's why. I'm, but I'm still giving it an eight. Like I think that's a pretty good score. Definitely recommend. That's a good, it. great score. I think I'm coming in. I mean, directorial debut. As a screenplay, unlike anything I've seen, um, plus the three actors, I can't. I I didn't remember how good uh, Carrie Ann Moss was. Uh, I I kind of remembered the guy Pierce and Joey Pants roles more, but I I really came away just being like, wow, all three of those people just were like very high level acting. Um, I think I'm coming in like eight point six. I think it's like it's very close to being a great movie. Like it's almost a nine. Um, I would, I'd still, the, the section with the prostitute and him burning his memories and stuff, it just, when you're going backwards as the viewer, you're not interested in that. You're still trying to figure out what's happening with the, the situation with John G and the whole detective case. And so to kind of veer off into that for 15 minutes, it's just a bunch of dark drab emotions. I, I it kind of brings the movie down for me, but that part where he's burning those memories, it's just not where I'm interested in as the viewer and it's too emotional 
for me at that time. And I just think it kind of brings it. I think you could be moving along faster and dealing with stuff that I'm still interested in. Outside of that little section, I honestly think it's like a pretty tight move, like airtight. Like you said, you can scratch at the logic a little. Uh, it's not, you know, 100% clear to me how the memory thing works. But like, honestly, it's a it's a really strong movie. I mean, it's, you could put this movie up but to debate it against a lot of other, you know, Oscar winning fodder. And it would it would hold its ground, I'm sure of it. So it's like I think it's like an eight point six. I like that score, and I know we don't really do this. Two quick follow up questions for you. Sure, sure. First, because we talked about Nolan's, we mentioned this briefly. He's kind of got a reputation for having a problem with female characters. Is it weird that I think Carrie Ann Moss as Natalie is probably his best female character, and yet at the same time? as you mentioned, the relationship romance with the wife is kind of a dud. Yeah, that's true. It's a I weird mean, juxtaposition. There's probably not, there's not a there. ton of scenes with the wife, but I know what you're saying there. Well, just um, like the whole, maybe not the wife herself, but just that story aspect. The yeah. Like you, as you said, that was one of the weakest aspects of him trying to get rid of the memories and then the, bringing the prostitute. Sorry, it's probably not You're right, there. though. I don't, I'm, no one's not the, you know, some of his other females haven't been amazing uh, Hillary, you know, Hillary Swank and Insomnia is not bad, but yeah, as I mean, you go I, down the line, it's like I'll tell you this. But even in Insomnia, she's a damsel in distress. The Batman's film, Batman films, Rachel yeah, Dawes is a damsel in distress, distress. Uh, yeah. and Cat, Catwoman's not. Uh, and I mean, Inter- Interstellar has that. Uh, I forget her name, the redhead woman. She's not, but Anne Hathaway's a damsel in distress again. She's stranded yeah, on the planet, true. and. Uh, I, He's, he's a great director. I don't think he's trying to do anything maliciously or, or it, I, I just think if you want to knock Christopher Nolan on anything, you can say he, he has a hard time with female characters or storylines. Well, I like Natalie, so. <laughs> Me too. Bring <laughs> her back. One. What Would you see Memento 2? Would you see that sequel? Is it just Guy Pierce? like, does he even remember what happened in the first movie? <laughs> No, now Natalie's his handler. Natalie's the Joey oh, Cancerol. I like that. I would like that. And that, see, can, that could be a prestige TV show. That'd save both their careers. I actually, now that you say that, that should be a TV show. You could, I think it should start and you don't even realize they're in it. And yeah. then it's like you have her, Natalie is a different name. or And then that should be like a backdoor. By I like episode that. three, By you the, realize. What I, would have, what I would do is I would develop like a detective character who's, who's starting to track all the murders from that place. <laughs> yes. No, honestly, that's, I think that's yeah. how you do it. It should be, yeah. um, but you know, do you know how, what the hook is? Have it be a ex-cop turned podcaster or something <laughs> like that. Get that hook. Make it something, uh, something modern like or, or an amateur detective whose parent was killed. Maybe their parent was a drug dealer, or a dirty cop killed in one of the busts. And it does seem like out. you could, You, I mean, you could do a prequel or a sequel, honestly, but it also like part of it is like, it was a very good movie. Maybe we should leave it alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When, what world are you living in? Leave the movie alone. Come on. Although with Nolan, that's, he's one of the few guys who I believe this movie won't be touched. I'm assuming he's got all the rights. Yeah. To it. Well, I know. I actually think his brother wrote like a book that it was based on really early on or something. But his brother's a great screenwriter. Yeah, yeah, liked his Westworld work. <laughs> um, all right, I guess is that it for Memento? That's it. Eight point from Jake. Eight point six from me. That's a high ranking for us people. That's high, higher than I am right now. 
<laughs> um, all right, I think it's time to bid adieu to our friends, Seth. Okay. Goodbye, people. Goodbye.